The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 22. The White Sox are officially not who we thought they were edition. You are at Cigars and Sports Chicago, best place for cigars and Chicago sports discussion. We got to set the scene. We're in the Cigars and Sports studios. Where is that? It's at the place, 5236 Main Street, Downers Grove. We've got a great humidor over here. We've got a great place to hang out. If you're in the area, or even if you're not, please come. We are at 5236 Main Street, Downers Grove, Illinois. You can follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports. And you can get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever the hell you get your podcasts. But you know that because you are uh, listening to a podcast. As always... I would like to introduce my co-host, Phil Sullivan. How are you? Actually, you're not really that great now that I think about it. And uh, what are you smoking? What's going on? Phil's doing great. Uh, I'm, uh, third person? Or, there we go. Third person. Yeah, yeah, we're doing great here. I'm enjoying my father. I'm going with a Don Pepin Cuban Classic this evening. Um, happened to run into those out of nowhere, and it's end of a cigar I'm starting to like a lot. So nice smoke. So that's what I'm enjoying this evening. I don't know why they call it a Cuban Classic, because it's definitely not from Cuba. But that's what they call it anyways, but it's a great cigar. So how's your uh, shoulder feeling? Shoulder is uh, not good. Uh, so we are, uh, you know, just waiting out, counting the days till I go on the uh, DL for quite a few months from what they're telling me. So we're going to look for a total repair job. we got a few things torn in there that need to get put back together. and Away we go. Aloy Jimenez, Lance Lynn, Joe Kelly, Yoan Mankata. And now Phil Sullivan, all on the injured now, list, although you're going to be on the 60-day injured list. So the yeah. next time you're whining about guys who are not healthy or not able to play or whatever the case may be, I just want to make the case that you can no longer plunge a toilet as well as you used to be <laughs> as a result of a shoulder yeah. injury that must be fake. I don't know. I think it's going to speed me into uh, retirement that much quicker, which will be just fine. But uh, no, we're... Uh... We'll get it put back together so I can get back out on the golf course. That's the main thing. You're out for the year, though. I am smoking a K by Karen Connecticut Toro, so pretty excited about that. And let's start out the show a little bit different than we normally do. I'd like to give our Chicago Cubs update. They suck. It appears they're losing again today. Okay, we're done with that. So let's talk about the White Sox. Holy moly, the White Sox. Wow. So they won last night. They won 3-1, to so I guess that's the good news. I went to the game. I braved the initial rain delay. I sat there the entire game. I was there for the last out. I saw them win. And you know what? They won. But think about it. They won 3-1. to one, So they obviously got good pitching. Giolito started out a little shaky, settled down, actually had an excellent outing, giving up one run over six innings. Graveman pitched fairly well. Then we had Joe Kelly, who you were so in love with in the you know when they acquired him in the offseason. What did I tell you that he was always hurt when they acquired him? What happened the next day? Hurt. Right, and then he then he comes back. He looked terrible for a couple outings in the last couple outings. Um, he actually looked very good. If you if you heard him on the radio this week, he was actually quite entertaining. So he is a good guy. But then last night. 
you know, he's got two outs in the eighth. And then, of course, what happens to him? Hurt. On the DL today, he's got some kind of leg injury. We'll see him again at some point after the All Star break. Well, so you I know, know, I think, I think your initial reactions—you you thought he blew a knee out, but apparently, from what I saw, it's, uh, it could be a hamstring, and it might be 15 days. So hopefully, not as serious as blowing out a knee. But uh, yeah, it just added to the list of the White Sox woes when it comes to injuries. Uh, well, if you ever listen to my injury prognosis, anyone who gets hurt, I always say that they're out for the year. So I don't know if you've picked up on that trend. So right, it's, right, it's frequently right. not accurate. Right. So they got they won three to one last night. I guess that's good. They got all their runs from a guy, and this is sort of the scary thing. They got all their runs from a guy who two days ago got called up from Charlotte, who's twenty six years old who, you know, we like him, but we all know that two years from now he's going to be selling cars somewhere, Jake Berger, or maybe he'll be like a minor league instructor or whatever. And I'm not saying he's a bad guy, I like the guy, but the bottom line is he's not a major league bat. He's not going to be a major league bat. His numbers are terrible. And by the way, he ran into a 66-mile-an-hour hanging slider from 82-year-old Rich Hill and hit it 444 feet. And I would guess that... If you threw me a 66-mile-an-hour hanging slider, I might be able to do something with it, at least get it out of the out of the infield. And by the way, I say nothing bad about Jake Berger. I'm just saying he's not that good. Yeah, so, you know, and I, was, I was watching the game, and I was watching this guy pitch. I couldn't believe it. I had to look it up. I says, is he still in the league? But I'm watching his pitches and watching these hanging sliders, curves, whatever you want to call them, coming in at 69, 70, 71. And you're thinking – these elite hitters can hit and pick up and hit 98-mile-an-hour fastballs. How in the world could they not pick that pitch up and and be able to get a bat on it? It just was – it looked like hitting a ball off a tee, you would think. Right, and your major point league is hitter, well, You know, that they can pick is- that up and know it's not a fastball immediately. They know that ain't coming. And that was the only pitch he had. His fastball or, or the ball that looked like a fastball was only 84 and that big hanging ball would start off about eight feet off the ground. You should be able to pick it up pretty quick. And, and I can't believe how he drops him in the strike zone. I, I can't believe how many of those pitches end up in strikes. I looked up the stat cast numbers today, and there actually is only one guy in the major leagues who has a slower four-seam fastball in the entire major leagues. There's one guy who has a who actually throws their fastball slower than Rich Hill. Do you know who that is? No, I don't. Dallas Keuchel, um, who is hit. We'll talk, over, about, we'll talk about him in a minute. He's hit over 93 times. No, we have other problems than talking about him. We already know he's <laughs> But, you know, I called this episode, the White Sox are not who we thought they are episode. Now, I predicted the White Sox to win 88 games. I think you predicted them to win um, 94, 95, something like that. I think that was right after you were saying that Rick Hahn is a genius and that Dylan Cease is a Cy Young Award winner. But anyway, but let's let's put that aside for a minute. Think about tonight's lineup. Let's talk about six guys in tonight's lineup. Abreu is hitting 229 with a 712 OPS. And by the way, the average OPS in Major League Baseball is approximately 740. And in fairness, over the last you know nine games or so, Jose Abreu is hot. So let's put him on the side. But he's still hitting 229 with a 712 OPS. Then let's talk about these five guys. Grandal is hitting 174 with a 507 OPS. Gavin Sheets is hitting 215 with a 637 OPS. Jake Berger, who we know will be out of baseball in two years, is hitting 237 with a 654 OPS. And by the way, I'm sure Jake Berger is a very nice guy, but you know, those are his numbers. Then we've got Lurie Garcia 
who is hitting 188 with a 477 OPS, and then the great Adam Engel, who's hitting 216 with a 606 OPS. And yes, that's really bad. But if you think that's bad, that's tonight's lineup. There's two guys who I'm not even talking about. Think about this for a minute. Yoan Mankata and Josh Harrison are both not playing tonight. And why is Mankata not playing? Because he now has general leg soreness. He will need to miss a few games. He's not going on the IL, but he's out hurt. Mankata is hitting 136 with a 431 OPS. And Josh Harrison is hitting 182 with a 542 OPS. Those are two starters, both out. The entire lineup is hitting like 180 with a 550 OPS. That's impossible. As a team, the team with the seventh highest payroll in the major leagues is 26th overall in OPS and 28th out of 30 teams in runs. So, I mean, that's just not very good. And before I go to you, Phil, I have one thing. Did you happen to see the last play of the game last night? Did you watch the end of the game? No, I did not see it. Well, the last play of the game, and for you White Sox fans listening who watched it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. First of all, there was another little bit of a somewhat scary ninth inning by Hendricks, although he got the save, he got out of it, but he had three three-ball counts before he actually got out of it. So it was a little little shaky, and he did have to come in for the Joe Kelly injury in the eighth, and he got out with, you know, with guys on base, so let's not get on Hendricks' case. We have a lot worse things to worry about. So the last pitch of the game, the last out of the game, was a fly ball to right field that was just sort of carrying, and Vaughn was out there. He's coming in to get the ball, but for whatever reason, because the way it sort of looked like it was carrying, Harrison starts running out into right field like he was going to catch the ball over his shoulder and almost collides with Vaughn close to the wall. Like he was out by the warning track, the second baseman. And it's like, and he almost caused Vaughn to drop the ball, which would have then at least made the bases loaded with you know, two outs and only up by two runs. So Josh Harrison, even when he's not hitting, is trying to screw the entire game up. But let's get back to the hitting. This situation is not good. I mean, look at this. Look at these guys all hitting under 200 or just over 200, all of them with an under 650 OPS. And I got to be honest with you, I'm not sure that it's going to get all that much better. Because if you look at Abreu and Grandal, and Harrison, and A.J. Pollock, who also has heated up a bit, and I didn't even mention him because he didn't have a very good game last night, but generally he's been hitting. You're talking about guys with an average age of basically 35. So four of your nine starters in the field are 35 years old. Is it that they're old? Is it that they stink? I'm tired of hearing about the injuries, so I don't want to hear about it because the guys they do have are not hitting, so it's not about injuries. But, Phil, what is your thoughts here? What's your prognosis? What do they need? You know, you're right about the, the, the hitting. is uh, It's unconscionable. I mean, they, they've got 38 homers. Let's think this one through. If they get through this weekend and maybe hit a couple more, they're on a pace to hit about 120 homers as a team, as a team for a season. It's horrible. And then you look at some of these rosters. I go back to our beloved TLR. You know, the other day, you know, I think he had Garcia. I don't know. He had batting third in front of Abreu. You know, why he got that guy batting there? He had, you know, he had Vaughn down in the lineup. Pollock was hot further down in the lineup. I don't get it. And then, you know, the only guy hitting, obviously, is Anderson. 
I'm starting to think put Anderson third in the lineup. You know, if he's only guy hitting, let's take a shot at maybe one or two guys might get on base in front of him in the first inning, and maybe he could do something. You know, he'll still get his close to the same at bats. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a crazy thought, but I mean, he's batting like a cleanup hitter. He's slugging like a cleanup hitter. You know, I don't say cleanup, but put him third in the lineup. Maybe one of those guys can get on base in front of him, and he, they can produce a few runs that way. Their offense is just abysmal. It really is. Their pitching's coming around. I think, you know, they got some decent numbers on pitching. I'm a little worried about the walks. There's a lot of walks. They, they give up a lot of walks. And uh, I don't know about that. And, of course, the other day when they got slaughtered, they said that Cease was tipping pitches. And, of course, they were playing against a guy that took cheating to a whole new art level, managing the other team. So did they find another way to cheat again? Uh, you know, I'll always be suspect because I think the guy's a piece of shit and should have been thrown out of baseball. But that's just me. Back to the hitting, it's uh, it's crazy, Steve. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Well, on Anderson, I I don't know that I would drop him in the lineup. I do think it's a reasonable point. But the bottom line is that you got to just have more. The answer is you got to have more guys hitting. You know what I mean? It's kind of like right. oh yeah, they still got to hit. So anyone who's ever heard my basketball you know analysis, whether it be college or the NBA, I have this basketball you know analysis. Right? We say this. That round brown thing that you have, if you can put it inside that orange circle on a very regular basis, say 55% of the time or more, you generally win. Um, and if you can keep your body in between your man and the basket and put your arms up when the other guy is shooting, then you know you have a really good chance to win. It's pretty simple. You can't have one guy in a lineup hitting. And by, and then amazingly, you know, so Luis Robert heats up a bit. And now, of course, where is he? He's joined you on the DL. So I I just don't even know what to say about this team, but I'll tell you, I think that we're about a month away, you know, and they're four and a half back and you know what, anything could happen. They could win 10 of the next 11 and, you know, Minnesota is really pretty hot right now. They've won six of seven and they're four and a half games up. Yeah. Things could change. You know, if we continue bouncing around 500 and they're five to eight games back in a month from now, and then we get three weeks away from the trade deadline, I think you've got to take a serious look at this situation and figure out what are you going to do? I think it's time to make some significant changes in this everyday lineup. I really think that it is. I mean, I I never thought that, you know, McGuire was going to be our best hitting catcher as well as our best fielding catcher. Is it time to move on from Abreu? He's a, you know, he's in the last year of his contract. If you get a prospect or two back, you know, does it make sense to maybe get a prospect or two back for him considering that you have, you know, Sheets and Vaughn to play first base? You know, do you need to get another outfielder? I mean, I'm just wondering, is it time to think about reconstructing this lineup at the deadline? And let me tell you, second base is the black hole, man. They got nothing at second base. And as far as I'm concerned, if they have any confidence at all that Jake Berger can hit, put him at second base. He wants to play second base. He's been trying to play second base. You know, he got in and the, you know, at the end of the game there in the, uh, you know, when they were down a hundred to one the other night against the Red Sox, give him a shot at second. But I think it's time to start thinking about reconstruction of this roster, because if you look at the defense and we've talked about that ad nauseum, and now you take a look at the offense and you just take a look at the, the everyday lineup and the position players, I think it's time to think about reconstructing this because the White Sox are not who we thought they were. They're not as good as we thought they were. They're not a championship team. They're not in the same league with the Yankees. They're not in the same league with Houston. They're not in the same league with the Dodgers. It's not happening. 
So I think they got to do something about it, and hopefully Rick Hahn will. And by the way, we haven't even talked about the great TLR, who now we can't get rid of him anymore. You know why we can't get rid of him? Because after the Tim Anderson, the TA thing happened the other day in New York, where he got in his spat with Josh Donaldson, the fact that TLR was standing up for TA, you know, now we, he's such a wonderful guy and he stood up for his guy. So now we're not allowed to be mad at him. So we can't fire him. Here's another thing too. The White Sox have played 42 games this year. Do you know how many different lineups they've had in those 42 games? I'm going to say 40. 41. 41. There you go. Yep. That can't be it's, good. It's, that, it's, that, it's not the same. You know, and when you talk about reconstructing this team, the White Sox are not going to reconstruct this team. If they're going to reconstruct it, they're going to do it in the offseason. It certainly isn't going to happen during the season. It could, but it won't. And, you know, like when you said anything could happen, yeah, could the Sox maybe be even with Minnesota by 4th of July? I look at 4th of July. I don't look at the trade deadline at the end of July. My odds in my brain say that you have better chance of being 10 games back by the 4th of July. And I agree with you. At that point, the season is over. They're not going to go to the trade deadline and get one player that's going to turn the thing around. You're right. they got to reconstruct. They certainly are not who they thought they were. It's almost embarrassing. Someone had to have seen that there were some holes in his talent and, and got this thing hyped up. But boy, oh boy, like you said, talk about the black hole at second base. I hope this two series watching Trevor's story play second base like a guy should play that you maybe could have had a shot at. That leads me to another topic. And unfortunately, I couldn't get him on the podcast, but I had the opportunity last week to spend some time, actually a good amount of time, with A's general manager, Billy Bean. And that was a question I asked him about was, you know, guys in the first year of their contracts, if you take a look at Trevor Story, obviously got off to a slow start and he is hitting the cover off the ball right now. But if you take a look at other guys, like Javi Baez is a complete and total failure in Detroit. And I'm not saying that at some point he's not going to heat up, but new giant contract, he's failing. Chris Bryant has already been on the injured list twice, although he still has 70 at-bats and has zero home runs in Colorado, of all places. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that for a second. That guy, you know, you talk about a guy stealing money. Oh, my God, $182 million and he doesn't have a home run in Colorado. I, I, I had the same note. I was like, that's crazy. Although, let's give him credit because maybe he knew that he was that bad, so he just wanted to maximize his income. But I will just tell you, the mother of all of these guys. So Marcus Simeon, who got $200 million in the offseason, who, you know, for the record, I wanted, before I knew what his price tag was, I wanted him back here with the White Sox. So Marcus Simeon's numbers last year, in 2021 in Toronto, the guy hit 265, 334 OBP, 538 slugging. He had an 870 OPS. But the guy hit... 45 home runs and 102 RBIs as a second baseman. This year, after he gets his his 200 million, think about this. He's got 162 at bats already, so it's not a tiny sample size. He is hitting 185 with zero home runs and 10 RBIs. He's got zero home runs, and in Texas, that's a place where people hit home runs. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Take a look at Kyle Schwarber. The guy is hitting 202, 
first year, new team, big contract. You know, and then you look at, you know, say just Bryce Harper, guy had the worst year of his career, um, first year in Philadelphia. So I do have to question that, that, yeah, I wish we had Trevor's story, but I think it bears mentioning that the facts seem to suggest that guys do not play well in the first year of giant contracts with a new team. And I wonder if it's in their head. And, you know, I, t- I talked to Billy Bean about this and he, you know, he didn't really have a lot to share about that particular thing. And I'll talk about some of the other issues that I talked to him about, but it seems to be more than anecdotal. The guys seem to not perform. And it's interesting because, you know, if you remember back in the day, they always used to say this thing when guys signed with the Yankees and they would go and fail and they'd be like, oh, well, he can't play in New York or whatever. You know what? I think it's just because the Yankees were the only guys that were going out, you know, the only team that was going out there and signing guys to huge contracts. And in the first year they would fail because it's not about New York. It's about anywhere. When you get a giant contract in a new city, clearly you are uncomfortable or there is some psychological issue because guys don't perform. And you wonder how many of those guys switch leagues. I know a lot of players when they switch leagues, it's different. I mean, the American League always had the history of, you know, that was the pitcher's league and the National League was the hitter's league. And uh, a lot of guys, you know, traditionally struggled, you know, when they switched leagues. Well, most uh, of these guys have not switched leagues. Most of these guys are in the same league. They're just not hitting. Right, right. You're right. But, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing that, that these big money guys are just can't perform in their first year. I don't think that Chris Bryant is a stranger to the National League. I don't no. think that, you know, well, Mark he didn't, Right, Williams, he didn't, yeah, these guys didn't switch leagues. I agree with you there. But it's just amazing that they're uh, – that they're struggling like this. It's such a high percentage. So a couple of things I did ask Billy Bean about. So he's very supportive. So I asked him about all the new rules. So first of all, ghost runner in the 10th inning, I've come around to like it. He actually said that he really likes it. He just said that there's no reason to be playing, you know, seven, eight, nine innings of bonus baseball. It ends the game quicker. He likes it. How do you feel about, about the ghost runner? Yeah, I've warmed up to it. I, I, you know, anything, as we've talked about many times, anything to speed the game up. I mean, the game, has to get sped up and hopefully next year with that pitch clock it's proven itself in the minor leagues anything to speed the game up so i'm okay i'm adjusting to it it's like anything else you'll get to it and guy gets on base get him in you know and that's all you got to do yeah asked him about the pitch clock he's very supportive of the pitch clock he said that not only does he feel like i mean certainly it speeds the game up you know speeds the game up because yeah it's picking up 20 to 25 minutes which is a huge amount and interestingly enough the average major league game is about eight minutes shorter this year. I'm not exactly sure why, but you know, it is probably fewer during inning pitching changes. It seems like to me, it, you know, is the number that I'm looking at, you know, but he's supportive of the, of the pitch clock. And he also said that it just speeds up the general pace of the game. He just said, you know, it doesn't matter as much what pitcher is in the game. He just said the game moves at a better rhythm with the pitch clock. I admittedly have not sat down and streamed any minor league baseball. So I have not seen it firsthand. Clearly it's going to, affect some pitchers maybe not others major league baseball has not made it official yet but i assume that they that they will make it official be crazy not to do it so uh very excited about you know about the pitch clock yeah i think some of these new rules are really going to help the game um although nothing is going to help the game with oakland and pittsburgh and and some of these other teams that spend 30 million on payroll so we're always going to have that imbalance and that you know the the Reds. But yeah, very interesting. It was very interesting having a conversation with him about some of the stats that he looks at. They look at all their proprietary stuff and don't talk, you know, don't look at all at public stuff. Very interesting conversation. Hopefully we can get him on this show. So Phil, you got any other topics you want to talk about tonight? Let's see. You know what? I was going to touch a quick story on one of your favorite 
sports. Some people don't even call it a sport. And that is car racing. Oh, please do. And I read an interesting story about Roger Penske. I had no idea that he bought the Indy 500 track. And he the bought Indianapolis it. Motor Speedway, yes. Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I, you know, I had no idea that he purchased that. And he purchased it right before COVID hit. So this guy is bleeding money on his investment that, you know, and they didn't say what he paid for, but he decided that he was going to go balls out in the last couple of years. He's put $30 million more of his own money into improvements in and around the track. You know, it was just a great story. He's 85 years old. The guy works six days a week, 12 hour days. And he said, it's my house. And for the first time Sunday in three years, they're going to have a half a million fans packed into that place. And he has instructed all his employees and everybody. They are no longer called fans. They are called guests. And they are his guests in his house. And he wants his guests to have the time in their lives. And it just was a great story about this 85-year-old man that looks as vibrant as a 40-year-old. Pretty cool story what he did. He wanted that track. And they had a little thing about when he was bidding for it. it they had three bidders and it got down to him and another guy. They didn't say who it was. And the other guy realized he was not going to outbid him. He was just going to make Roger Penske spend more money. And he just didn't think it was fair that this racing icon, that, you know, the guy bidding against him said, you know, you need this. and You deserve this. And he got the track. I had no idea he owned that track. Yeah, Roger Penske, um, incredibly successful guy. And by the way, one thing I want to tell you, so you don't have to feel bad about him bleeding money, Roger Penske is worth approximately $3.5 billion. So he's got a lot of money and has had a, ver- a lot of very successful business ventures. Obviously, Team Penske is his NASCAR team. Um, he has an IndyCar team. He's been extremely successful in both, as well as a variety of other businesses. He goes by the captain, and there is no one who you know has the respect that that guy has. And if you look at his history in racing, and, and in business, just an unbelievable guy. And yeah, has made incredible um, changes. And, and yeah, it's going to be really exciting as they get a half million people into the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this weekend. And for those of you who are not racing fans, this Sunday is the ultimate racing day of the year, as it is every day, Memorial Day weekend. You have first thing when you wake up in the morning, Monaco Grand Prix. You then have at noon, Indianapolis 500. And then right around 6 p.m., NASCAR's longest race, the Coca-Cola 600. So you can watch racing from the second you wake up. You'll struggle to be awake when when the Coca-Cola 600 ends. And by the way, if we're going to talk about NASCAR two weeks ago, last regular season race, because last week was the all-star race, my guy Kurt Busch won. And yes, by the way, I won $6,100 by betting on him. So I was very, very happy about that. Love NASCAR. Never talk about it because it's a guilty pleasure. Nobody wants to hear about it. But I am glad that you brought up the captain, Roger Penske. Bill, it's been a great episode of Cigars and Sports Chicago. Let's end it here. Uh, Thanks. Really good job today. Good job, our producer, Bear. And let's now go smoke a cigar. Assuming that my Uber Eats has come, i got to fire that down, and uh, we can be smoking a cigar very shortly. So thanks. Bye. good. Game out. Sweet blossom, come on under the willow. We can have high times if you look back. We can discover the wonders of nature. Growing in the brushes down by the riverside.